commercial announcement. Uh, we enjoyed our time uh, at Calvin Club. Uh, Thursday night was a tremendous start and uh, invite more men. Uh, now the institutes are on you to find and buy. Uh, we are all out of the copies currently and we kind of don't want you there because if you come we will be banished from our coffee setting. We don't have room for any more but we want more so please continue to consider joining us for Calvin Club and uh, for those who were at Calvin Club and received the pens I trust you're writing in scripture as we speak as we go through this text. But we had a great time on Thursday night with Calvin Club, looking forward to our continued discipleship through the Institutes of the Christian Religion. As we begin this morning, as the text has been read for you, at the center of this sermon here in Hebrews, <clears throat> for quite some time, and particularly this portion with this sermon in Hebrews, the concern is this, and it needs to be a concern for you. And I know it is a concern for you, in and out. Sometimes you articulate it better to yourself than others. But the question is that the conscience is always plagued by. That you must move to look beyond yourself and unto Christ. Squarely as the object of your faith. Because the concern is this, as the Apostle does speak to the church. Will we inherit the promise by personal performance? And you say, you just said this, I think, like two weeks ago. I did. I'll probably say it again next week. It's at the heart of what we're dealing with here. And we cannot hear it enough. Will we inherit the promise, right? So chapter 6, he's been dealing with Abraham's promise. God's unchangeable purpose in the promise. And the question is, will we attain the promise by personal performance? Or by the performance of another? This is the heart of the gospel. It is a question we're always wrestling with in personal performance. That is, it'll get a little more specific this morning through the text in this way. Are we in union with Moses and Sinai? And you say, what is that? Well, briefly think Ten Commandments. It's much more than that, but think Ten Commandments. Law. Are we in union to Moses? Through the Heidelberg Catechism this morning, did we recite one with another the confession of our faith that we are in union or our mediator is Moses? Are we in union with Moses at Sinai, or are we in union to Jesus? There are two covenants at work in this text, and there is one standard for both covenants. You had the text read for you, you know the standard, and now you know the question. Am I in union to Moses and Sinai. My confession, that's my hope, that I'm united to Moses. He is my mediator, or I'm in union to Jesus, who is my mediator. Here is Moses, and the question that plagues me, will I receive or inherit the promise by personal performance, or will I inherit it through the performance of another? Because we all know the performance is necessary 
I must achieve the standard of the covenant. What is that standard? You saw it, verse 11. Look there in your text just briefly. Look how he's developing this, the old covenant to the new covenant. Now, if perfection had been attainable, what is the standard of the covenant? What is the standard of your acceptance before God? What is the standard? Perfection. Look at how it's framing the entire discussion here in the very last verse of the passage of chapter 7 as he speaks of two covenants with one standard. And there you stand asking the question, will I attain that perfection by my own performance or the performance of another? Because I have to attain it. The very last phrase there of verse 28 frames this entire discussion in the concern for you. That there is a son who has been appointed, who has been made, notice the standard, perfect forever. Perfection is the standard of the law. Will I achieve it by my own personal performance or by the performance of another? Because it's non-negotiable that I achieve it. Let me read verse 11 for you and then we'll begin to break down the brief argument and then we'll continue to develop through the passage as we look at two covenants, an old and a new, that the apostle is driving us toward to look squarely upon Jesus as the object of our faith. Notice verse 11. Now, if perfection, this standard, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, What further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of, or rather, after the order of Aaron? Yes, I thought I inserted the word order. One after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron. Let me break down the argument there because... It can be a, a bit tangled, but it, it really isn't. Let, let's consider that the, the, the way he's arguing here, for some of us who haven't stayed in the conversation all the way through, let's just get right to the heart of the argument here, considering the logic, how it works. It is like this. If we could achieve perfect righteousness, if we could, so this is your concern, perfection, attainable, and the logic of the passage is saying this to you, if we could achieve perfect righteousness, that is the standard of the law, if we could, through the ongoing ministry of the Levitical priesthood, Aaron and his sons, right? Why not have someone after the order of Aaron? This is the issue. Perfection. If we could obtain perfect righteousness, the standard of the law, through the ministry of Aaron, that's the if, Consider the then, if-then statements working together. Then, if that was possible, then why the order of Melchizedek at all? And not another priest after the order of Aaron. In other words, if we could achieve perfection in Aaron, we don't need to keep this discussion going for like five chapters regarding this individual named Melchizedek and how he spoke of Jesus. Why do we need that at all? Okay, so, so look with my, my, my hand timeline here. 
This is how, this, this is how we're considering it. Here, here is us, okay? Squarely in what we'll see is the New Covenant ministry. Okay, here we are, and the apostle is discussing this right here to the church. And he says this if-then relationship. If, right here, if perfection, which we know is the standard, that's square across from here to here in the entire timeline, if perfection was attainable through Aaron. Now we've jumped all the way back to the Old Covenant, so you're looking at your Bible this way, going back to the Old Covenant, Old Testament, you're in this portion. If perfection, the standard, was attainable in Aaron, timeline, then why Melchizedek, timeline, way back here? Why are we talking about Melchizedek, skipping Aaron now, and Jesus as they relate? If Aaron, who is right here, we could have achieved perfection in him through his ministry to us, the sacred office of priesthood. If we could now continue with Aaron, then why talk about Melchizedek? We know the standard perfection has been achieved through Aaron. Why are we taking so long to talk about Jesus and Melchizedek? If Aaron was sufficient, if, then why? The implication to that. Okay, so you know the if-then relationship now. So the implication of what he's getting at, what, is he, what, what, what we say sometimes, what is the comment behind the comment? What, what are you driving at? And it is that Aaron's ministry, there is a deficiency. In Aaron's ministry. That's the implication. Right? There is a deficiency in Aaron's ability to do what? Here you are. Here's Aaron's ministry. Why are we talking about Melchizedek? The implication is because we can't rely on Aaron's ministry for perfection. There is a deficiency with Aaron. The Levitical priesthood received under the law. There's a deficiency there. Of what kind or of what type is he deficient in securing righteousness for you. Securing it. Locking it up. Before the throne. There's a deficiency. In the standard of perfection. Being obtained for you. Through Aaron. Why don't we have another priest like Aaron come? Why don't we stay with Aaron? Why don't we stay with the Levitical priesthood? Because there's a deficiency there. We're talking about Jesus. That is Melchizedek. As he spoke of Christ who is to come. Why did he speak? Why did he order it? Because there's a deficiency. Even in the gracious sacred ministry of the priesthood under the old covenant, there was a deficiency there. And the deficiency that would make no sense for us to go back to. Because it was even in its original context deficient in its ability to secure righteousness for God's people. So the question is, here's Aaron under the law, receiving the ministry of the priesthood in the context of the law. So is there a deficiency with the old covenant compared to the new covenant in its ability to secure righteousness for the people of God? 
Yes. So we continue this way. Because it thoughtfully brings us back to where we've been mining gold treasure for a while, I hope. And that is, we've been mining out the distinction of the relationship between the gospel and the law. Law and gospel. The relationship between the two of them. It stands squarely in the center of our text this morning. The issue of the law and the gospel and how they relate. Or as the reformers would say, we're going to discuss this morning the two words of the Bible. Law and gospel. We must get the nature of this relationship right. And this is squarely in this text for your joy in Christ is a rightful handling of the law and the gospel. We must get this step right. I'm looking out at all of you, and I can tell. It's not like last week. You, you, time change isn't getting any of you this week. Hint, hint. We must get this step right. It doesn't get any more practical than this. Law and gospel. Are they in opposition to one another? Is the, God, is the law in opposition to the gospel? No, it is not. It is not in opposition, but it relates by way of anticipation and fulfillment. They're not in opposition, warring for you. One serves the other. Let's mine this out a little bit. In other words, verse 11, the apostle says, Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. So he's putting it squarely in the context of the old covenant ministry of the Levites. And the standard is the same. If perfection had been attainable, what further need would there have been for another priest to come after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after Aaron? Now, we need to note right here, what is, the nature of the God, what is the nature of the law that the apostle is getting at? Is he saying that the law is bad or that it is in opposition to the gospel? He is absolutely not attacking the law here. Please, he is not attacking the law by saying that perfection is not attainable through it. Not saying, therefore, it's terrible, it's a bad thing, it cannot serve you, it should be no part of your life whatsoever. He is not suggesting or attacking the law suggesting that the law is bad or in opposition to the gospel. Rather, what he is doing is supporting and protecting its rightful use. We've covered that through our series in the Ten Commandments. Is there a rightful and purposeful use of the law of God in the life of the believer? And we have affirmed again and again and again, yes, there is a rightful use of the law in the life of God's people by faith in Christ. And the apostle here is affirming, this is not a rebuke on the law. He is defending it in its rightful use. So what is its rightful use? Let's continue with considering, what do I mean by the law's rightful use? There are three things I want to consider with you about the nature of the law, and we will cover this entire text this morning in our next few moments together. Three things that we must remember about the law, and this is, again, the heart of the gospel. Law and gospel in their relationship. 
will I attain perfection through personal performance or the performance of another? This is what this text is about. Three things we must consider about the law is we will see through this text. Number one, I'll give them to you up front and then we'll come back to work through them. Three things we must consider about the law is number one, it's publication. Number two, it's provision. And number three, it's proclamation. Do you notice how I use the P for each one of those? Pretty nifty. I don't do it often. But I got away with it this time. The law is publication, it's provision, and it's proclamation. And you must, you must grasp this. We have to be careful here and get it right. It doesn't get more practical than this, if I can help you. Number one, what do I mean by the law's publication? Consider the old covenant ministry here, okay? So you're, you're back under Aaron and the Levitical priests, right in verse 11, where the priesthood is functioning as they function in coordination with the law. They receive the law and the priesthood are working in tandem. Verse 11, what is the publication of that law to you? What does it say to you? What does it say? It says simply this. Do and live. What is its correspondence? Don't and die. There's the law. When you seek to be in union to it, to obtain perfection is the standard. Guess what the law says to you in its standard? Do and live. How much? All the things written herein. What if I violate one thing? Perfection is shattered. Justification cannot be found then. The publication of the law. And this is why the apostle says, if perfection could have been attained there, then what are we doing talking about Jesus? It cannot be. Well, it might be. Let me hear what the law says to me. Okay, here it is. Do and live. So I can attain righteousness through the law. Absolutely set about doing it. Well, we all know the end of that. By the way, if you don't do every single thing that is therein, you die. It's 100%. The law does not grade the way that many of you students right now are banking on. A curve system. The law to you who would seek salvation or justification through it, the law to you does not speak approximates. It speaks perfection to you. That's it. No, we're not talking about degrees and kinds and bell curves. We're talking about perfection. Do and live, don't and die. The consequences are eternal. So, clearly, it can't be found through the law in its publication to you. Paul says it something like this in Galatians 3. He says, those who seek to be justified by it are under its curse. The standard of perfection through the law is absolute, perfect, personal obedience to every single thing therein. That's the law's publication we will, through the text, see the corresponding gospel 
publication. That is your hope. And the law I trust right now as we consider it is driving you to the gospel. Consider secondly, we move from its publication, do and live, don't and die in a covenant of works, and we consider its provision. The provision of the law. So <clears throat> this is what he's getting at in verse 11. So the publication goes out, and it says to you, who all of you know, I include all of us in here, who are we kidding? We know we just heard, do every single thing that is commanded and you will live. Don't do a single thing and you die. You remain under the burden of its curse. Who here has broken that commandment, right? Okay, right. Obvious. So now we got to at least our bearings. Where do we go? Now that we all know we're held up underneath the weight of the law's curse, what are we going to do now? Where are we going to go in this old covenant context for forgiveness. Where do we go? We all know we need it, right? So what are we going to do? The law's provision. What was it? Aaron and his sons. There is a provision in the law that it drives you to the gospel. By faith, you brought your sacrifice to the Levitical priests. By faith, believing that God would fulfill his promises and forgiveness, atonement, sacrifice would be received. Forgiveness would be announced. There was a provision in that law. Now, we recognize with Adam. Do you remember the standard of Adam in the garden? When God came to Adam, do you remember the standard of Adam's obedience? You know, was Adam graded on a curve, as it were? Was he given like one slip up and other things were kind of glossed over? and he remained in paradise with Eve, and everything was good, and here we are today. Was there a huge bell curve in the garden? No, right? And there was this relationship that God established with Adam, one of how much obedience was required of Adam. 100%, right? Perfect, perpetual obedience of Adam. The standard has always been the same. Perfection. We call this a covenant, right? An arrangement between God and Adam, between God and Israel. We call this a covenant relationship, which we're getting to Jesus. This is known as the covenant of works, the covenant of working. Here you go. Here's your standard of achievement. Do, 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 do. And if you do it all, you can live working, 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 working. It is a covenant of works. Yet, since everybody had died in Adam and was born a sinner, how many of us born sinners were going to achieve a covenant of working if the standard was absolute perfection of our work? Mm, nobody. So that's it? No. God in His grace made provision to drive you to the gospel. And the provision was what? Aaron and his sons. So we have a publication of the law that is a covenant of working. Do and live, don't and die. I died. Exactly, and here's the gracious provision that I have made for you. Aaron and his sons. That is, by faith, hear my promises of atonement. By faith, bring your sacrifice to these men of sacred priesthood ministry, and there will be therein an announcement of forgiveness. Yet there is a deficiency in it, isn't there? Because it didn't secure eternal perfect 
righteousness. But there was an announcement of forgiveness by faith. There is a publication in the law, do and live, don't and die. Yet there is a provision, Aaron and his sons. Thirdly, so we go from publication of a covenant of works, do and live, don't and die, to a provision, Aaron and his sons. Thirdly, to a proclamation in that law, the proclamation of those who came by faith. Banking on God to fulfill his promise of forgiveness, they did experience an atonement, a sacrifice which was pleasing and acceptable. There was a forgiveness that was announced. And so we see through sacrifice by faith, forgiveness is granted. Wow, that imagery speaks to something coming ahead, doesn't it? It corresponds to Christ. That's what Paul says What was the nature of the law in the Old Testament? What was the nature, Paul says, in Galatians 3? It was a guardian, a steward. What was it doing as a guardian or a schoolmaster? What was it doing? It was guiding us to who? Christ. From its publication, do and live, don't die. I need something other than me to do and live. Well, in the meantime, here is a provision of grace, the sacred office of priesthood, whereby you can come by faith and offer your sacrifice and hear the pronouncement, forgiveness of sins. But I need something other than this momentary priesthood, don't I? Yes. There's a deficiency there. That's why we're talking about Melchizedek. So the conclusion so far is this to our handling of verse 11 regarding the covenant structure. It is a covenant of works. And the purpose of this covenant given under the ministry of Moses was to do what? Oppose the gospel? Drive us from the gospel? Hide the gospel? No. What did the old covenant ministry, its publication, its provision, and its proclamation, what did it do? It foreshadowed and spoke forward to Christ and his gospel. It always announced that perfection was not attainable. There is need for someone and something greater. Verse 11 speaks to this issue of the Old Covenant to the New Covenant ministry. With that larger consideration in your mind, so now you you grasp that there is a deficiency with Aaron. Now our need is to move from a deficiency of Aaron, a covenant of works, beyond Aaron and into Christ. We know there's a deficiency in ourselves. So with that larger consideration in our minds, let's begin plowing our way through this text for our benefit this morning as we consider the larger structure of the covenant in mind, we can grapple with the littler pieces. Consider with me verses 12 through 14. Look with me as we continue to plow. We continue to go forward through the text. I'll just start with verse 11 all the way to 14. Now, if perfection, this standard, had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, right? Covenant. 
What further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron? What would be the point? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with the tribe, Moses said nothing about the priests. So, your mind is reeling, isn't it? You're like, I, you know, I, I, who knows what he's talking about. You get the idea, though, so far, right? If we seek justification by our works alone, we are damned. We get that, right? We need the righteousness of another. So he tries to articulate that to you. He tries to help you consider that. Because what he's saying here is that the law and the priesthood are working in tandem. They're working together. So he says, here it is. If there's a change in the law, that is the publication as it relates to the people. If there's a change in the publication, there has to be a change uh, in the provision. That is, since the law and the priesthood work in tandem, a change in the priesthood must bring with it a change in the law that governs it. So... We have a new law that we ought to be paying attention to because there has been a change in the priesthood. Who can tell me, even at this point, what is that change in the priesthood? Anyone. You know I step way outside the bounds of my comfort zone when I interact. Right, great, right. We're all tracking it. Right, exactly. There was a change in the priesthood, a huge, gigantic shift in the priesthood, the way by which we come for provisions of grace. There was a huge dynamic change, not one of opposition, but one of anticipation and fulfillment. And if there's a change in the priesthood, there's a change in the law that corresponds to it, because those two work in tandem. Priesthood and law function together. How so? The law tells you do and live, don't and die. You didn't and you died. So then the priesthood comes in and interacts with you now because you come by faith to the priesthood to receive an announcement and a pronouncement of forgiveness of sins. Law and priesthood are functioning in tandem. So if there's a change in the one, there must be a change in the other. They work together. So if there's a change in the priesthood, I don't come by Levi. I don't come under Aaron. I don't come under the law. I come to Christ. There must be a change then in priesthood necessitates a change in the law as well. Because they work together. So, knowing law and gospel and the nature of the two, we must consider then... Not that the gospel is in opposition, but the fulfillment, the completion of the law. How so? We'll do it briefly in the same three categories. We consider these three under the Old Covenant. It's publication, it's provision, and it's pronouncement, right? That's what, publication, boom, everybody's in trouble. It's provision is an element of grace under the covenant of working. There is a gracious measure given, the sacred ministry of priesthood. By faith you came and you heard a pronouncement that also was gracious. Your sins are forgiven. These three elements that were received by the people of God under the Old Covenant are now in the New Covenant, continuing, but at an escalated climactic level. Not one of anticipation anymore, but these three things are in completion now. Perfection, in other words, is now attainable. 
And it doesn't come by a covenant of works. But by a covenant of grace. So let's look at those same three things under the old covenant. Now, in the new covenant. The covenant of grace. In relationship to a covenant of works. First one then with me, these three things. The very first one is consider with me the new publication. Look in verses 18 now. Consider with me. And we'll jump through the text as we establish these points. Not reading directly through the text, but jumping through the text as we establish these three points of the argument. Number one, what is the new publication in relationship to the old publication? And it begins in verse 18. On the one hand, a former commandment is set aside. Why is it set aside? Because of its weakness and uselessness. Now, again, is he bagging on the law? No. It's weak and it's useless. How? In relationship to perfection. It can get you there. And it cannot get you there today. And it cannot get you there tomorrow. If you don't consider Jesus and you look away from him and think in your own covenant of works you're going to obtain, you will never achieve perfection. It was useless in relationship to perfection. It was severely deficient and weak in its relationship to perfection. But the standard of perfection never changed. You could not get there by your working. It is utterly deficient. Don't, believer, don't try it. Don't speak law. Speak gospel. Therein is where perfection is found. In the performance of another. Now that I've concluded my sermon, you think, why do you have to keep going? I do. We must. We must keep going. So, the new publication. What is it right there in verse 18? I continue as I digressed. On the other hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and its uselessness. For the law made no one, no thing perfect. But on the other hand, look at the new publication. A better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Boldly. Right? Verse 20. And it was not without an oath or a covenant. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath. By the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. Getting right back to what he's discovered or, or described for us in chapter 6. The purposes of the Lord are unchangeable. So here it is. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. What does that mean for me? It means that Jesus is the guarantor of a better covenant. Better covenant than here in this publication. The publication was what? I said it like 10,000 times. I beat that horse till it was dead and underground and there was no bones to be found. You know it. The former publication to me was do and live, don't and die. What is the new one? What is the one in Jesus that is a guarantor of a better substantive covenant? What is this new publication? A pronouncement of life. Live. 
and you will do this. A publication of the gospel, a pronouncement of life, the standard has been met. Perfection has been achieved. And the pronouncement that then comes to me, the hearer of this gospel, of this new publication, is live. And you will do this. Back to chapter 6. Perseverance comes from the power of the gospel. Not do and live, live. Experience rebirth and you will do. This is the paradigm change. This is a better covenant in Jesus. It pronounces no longer weakness and deficiency, but life and power. It is a better covenant. It is a covenant of grace. This is the point in which we merge and look to Jesus. We are united, that original question, are we in union with Moses or are we in union with Jesus? In the covenant of grace, consider it in the covenant of works, all that is required is demanded. In the covenant of grace, all that is required is granted on the performance of another. So consider this better covenant we would call the covenant of grace. Consider, secondly, the new publication. The, excuse me, the new provision. The publication is live and you will do this. Life-giving power of the gospel in Jesus' name and then the new provision. Well, uh, could anyone consider what is this new provision that gives way to a new publication? Who's the provision there's a change in the priesthood. There's a change in the law that corresponds to it. There's been a radical climactic shift in the priesthood. This provisionary sacrifice that gives way to a publication of live and you will do this. It's life producing. Who is then the provision upon which this publication can be announced? Jesus. Because if we could have achieved perfection through Levi, why are we talking about someone who came after the order of Melchizedek? Because we couldn't get perfection in Levi, but we can in Jesus. So it is the second portion as we consider here the new provision is Jesus himself. I want you to notice in the text, our new provision is Christ Jesus himself in two significant ways in relationship to the covenant of grace. Number one, he is a covenant-keeping son. What does that mean for me, that he is a covenant-keeping son? That means that he is my righteousness. Look with me in verse 26 through 27. It describes this faithful covenant-keeping son, which is the standard of my righteousness. It is the perfection that I have, achieved, that I have attained. Verse 26 through 28, look at with me. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. How is the son here? Who is he? How is he performing? He is holy, innocent, unstained, separate from sinners, and he is exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those of Aaron, those belonging to the old covenant priesthood. He has no need like those high priests 
to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins. Remember, there is a deficiency in Aaron, but not in Jesus. He has no need to function like the old order. Then for those of the people, why? Because here is the provision of the covenant. He did this once for all when he offered up himself. Verse 28, for the law appoints men. Here's the old covenant, covenant of working. Here's a gracious provision within it, but consider it appoints men in their weakness as high priests. They are weak, they are deficient, they can only perform like you and I in the sacred office of priesthood. But the word of the covenant, the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. We must remember, please consider with me the thought of the old covenant context in the new covenant context. Let me ask you, think in your mind, and I'm not asking for interaction, I'll answer it. I don't want the awkward pause. Think of it in your mind. Did the standard of perfection change in the old covenant to the new covenant? Did the standard change? No. You know the answer is no. The standard before God and His holiness by which I might come near has not changed. Standard is the same. Then was the covenant of doing it. Do and live was that standard set aside for Jesus. Was it? No. But did he do it? Yes, he did. It wasn't like he came and had no relationship to the old covenant. Came and had no relationship to the covenant of works that drives you mad every day in your hardwiring psyche. What do you do with it? You look to Jesus. Why? Because he fulfilled it. Was the standard any different for him? No. Did the covenant of works somehow go away when he was born? No. Did he relate to it at all? Yes. And how? By fulfillment. Every bit of it. So perfection was achieved. Not by setting aside the law, but by fulfilling it. Consider secondly, the new provision is Jesus himself. Number one is the covenant-keeping son. Number two, he is your covenant mediator. Look in verse 25 that describes his role as the mediator of this better covenant, of this not covenant of works, but this covenant of grace that he then can pronounce because he fulfilled the covenant of works. It no longer stands over your head if you have faith in him. Because he fulfilled it on your behalf. You share in its perfection. If you don't receive him, the covenant of works remains upon you. But those who have trusted in him as the covenant-keeping son, they receive his righteousness and then also his mediation on their behalf. He is a covenant mediator of the covenant of grace and the covenant of works upon you. Look how he does so in verse 25. Consequently, this is drawing upon the consequence, the performance of Jesus. Consequently, he is able to save. Do you praise the Lord for that? 
He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him. Not in other means, other methods, and other ways of working. They draw near to God squarely through Jesus and Jesus alone. Squarely through Him. What is He able to do for me? If I look to Jesus as the object of my faith, not a virtue, but a gift, and I entrust it to Him, squarely all my, and I won't even repeat what I said last week, eggs are in Jesus' basket. It was cheesy. But I will go there. If I am lock, stock, and barrel, maybe we could say, everything is cast at Jesus' feet. What is he able to do? Save. He is able to save. Well, how much, how much do I bring to the table? How much working? None. What if I come a little bit? I come squarely through him alone. And he is able to save me. Because he fulfilled the covenant of working and has pronounced in himself a covenant of grace. And I come through him. Covenant keeping son, covenant mediator that saves and intercedes forever. That is in the verse 28. How long will this intercession last, believer? How long will Christ's intercession last? Will it last right now and will it last Monday morning? Will he intercede for me yet again in my, sin, in my sinfulness? Verse 28, the weakness of the priest, but it's not like that with the son. He has been made perfect forever. So how long will he intercede for me? How long will my mediator remain forever? Finally, and as we draw our time to completion this morning, all of you have con- done so well this morning to consider Uh, these concepts together. I trust it's an encouragement to you as we consider, thirdly, the new proclamation. So we go from its publication uh, to live and you will do the life-giving power of the gospel, the provision that is Jesus himself is not deficient. He is not weak. He is not like other priests. He did not set the covenant aside, but taking upon himself, fulfilling the Father's order, he then mediates to me. How long will he mediate? Forever. The new proclamation then is the gospel. A sinless Savior who is Lord of a better covenant. He is a priest forever. Verse 23, 24, 25. The former priests were many in number, weren't they? Because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. What about Jesus? He holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. What do you mean, verse 16? He has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent. He's not from Aaron. He is the priest forever. How? by the power of an indestructible life. So I ask you, did you notice the middle argument of the passage? If there is a change in the priesthood, 
then there must be a change in the law as well because they're working in tandem. You know and I know there is a change in the priesthood. So what is the change, the substantive call, the change in the law that relates to the priesthood for you? What is it? What is the, the call upon you, the law upon you to relate rightly to this new priesthood, to be saved, to experience his destruction of your enemy, the deliverance of your soul, and the intercession on your behalf? What is the law, what is the call upon me as the listener right now in this moment to relate well, relate savingly to Jesus, my high priest? What is the call or the law upon me that I might correspond well and attain perfection? not by merits of my own, but the performance of another. Paul calls it in Romans 3, the law of faith. What is the application? Look to Jesus and be saved. And in that publication, do and live. Look to Jesus. Don't and die by a covenant of working. Consider Jesus Christ as the object of your faith. Promise He is able to save to the uttermost. Father, we do love you and thank you for our time around your text as we struggle through your word, Lord. By your spirit, anoint our eyes. Give us ears to hear, eyes to see, minds to fall in love with the truth and hearts to transform and guide our doing by faith. Lord, bless your word to us. We are born in the covenant of works under Adam. The time of provision through Levi is over. Christ has come and fulfilled. He alone has obtained the covenant's fulfillment. Our perfection is found squarely in Him. Let us, Lord, come weak to Jesus and be healed. Both in, our, in every area of our life, our parenting, our, our, our family leadership, our employment, it is deficient. Let us not seek to be justified by our employment, by our job, by our parenting. We are not saved by being good dads and good moms, by being great husbands and good wives. We are not saved in our performance. Let us look to Jesus by faith and see you produce in us by your gracious order your fruits. Lord, let Redeemer look to Jesus and be saved. In Christ's name I do pray. Amen.